What is up, Asymmetry? How are you all doing? We had the pleasure, Ira and I, of sitting down with Eli Akins, uh, the proprietor of Waldo Street Pottery. And I think this is a conversation a long time in the coming. Eli's been uh, a growing ceramic presence in the North American community. And I just wanted to know more about him. I haven't had the exposure. We're on opposite coasts. But I see his work. I see the trees going into his work. I see the evolution of his work. And I think this is somebody dedicated to a mastery of his craft. And if once you start to talk about that kind of level of pursuit and dedication, I'm in. I'm in. Uh, we had a wonderful conversation. There is a lot of popcorn being eaten for the first like 15 minutes. And then we got past it. Weather the storm. It's a, it's a tremendous discussion of ceramics, uh, the interaction and overlapping of music as a, as a medium. And just, I think, a wonderful discussion of bonsai as a practice uh, as it occurs in North America. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Eli Akins, everybody. So this is too good to not talk about. Gotcha. But, but like doing a little bit of on, like I knew your your ceramic work, uh-huh. and then trying to be a little bit more familiar with kind of like what else you do or how you got here and all that stuff. So I was trying to internet stalk you a little bit, um, and I saw that you had experience as an audio engineer. I did. Yeah. That led to bigger gigs. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. What is it, snack time? What are we, is this popcorn time? It is. It's, this is my 6 o'clock, let's ruin dinner with a snack time. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife, um, she eats popcorn probably six or seven days a week. It's probably her favorite food, if you asked her what her favorite I love food it. was. And I love it. when we were living in Las Vegas, which I was kind of messaging you about because I saw that you uh-huh. were just there. Um, we worked slightly different hours and she would get home before me. And inevitably when I opened the door from the garage and walked into the house, I could always smell popcorn almost every single right. day. Like if I didn't smell popcorn, like you're like, Oh, is she not home? Did something happen? Right. right. Where did she go? It's a great snack. It's a great snack. Healthy. Oh yeah. What do you do for, uh, do you just go like standard popcorn? Do you, do you pop your own? What's the, what's the game plan? Uh, this is, this is microwave because I was in a time crunch, mm-hmm. but, um, I have this little contraption called a whirly pot, which is a, which is a stovetop thing. Cool. And you just put a little oil in the bottom and put your, um, kernels in there. And then it's got a little crank and you just crank it and it spins the kernels around on, over the heat and it pops in there and it's great. Yeah. That's like the classic design kind of thing that continues to work year after year. Uh-huh. Did you ever have any experience with, uh, with an air popper, air fryer. Did you ever go through that phase? No. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, my mom, I think got one somehow, maybe for Christmas or somebody asked for, I remember she also got a salad shooter for Christmas one year too. That was a big, that was a big hit. The salad shooter. Yep. Uh But the, but the air popper was like hot air and the little cylinder would spin and it would just spit out. I think I did have that pop kernels. It had like a, like a, like a, like yeah, forty-five Yeah, angle. like a little yeah, shield, had, plastic had, shield over the top of it. Oh man! Uh-huh. The color of that thing was so rancid that it was like yellow or whatever. We like had seventies. So I remember. So I, we had a clear plastic one, but a lot of the ones when you see them or look at pictures, it's always that yellow color, which looks like it's like discolored, like something's wrong right. with it. It's not like not like a, or something. It's not. It's got jaundice. Yeah, it's got <laughs> it's got it's got Hep C. So we try not to talk about. Right. It. Yeah. The popcorn, the popcorn poppers can be very, very sensitive. We don't like to disturb their feelings. 
Right. Oh, there's the man right there. Hey, Ryan. What's going on, Eli? How you doing, man? I'm doing good. Let's see those socks. I've, I've heard all the tales. What's that? I've heard all the tales. Let's see the socks. Oh, yeah, right. Here we go. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The socks, nice. the socks always make it onto the podcast. Awesome. <laughs> because that's what it takes to get into a position where we can have a good conversation, you know? Yeah. It's a sock-friendly yep. zone up here. Shoes off in the, in the upstairs office. Dude, I like that wall behind right. you, though. What's going on there? Man, you know, I work in the music business, and so I've just been a concert head all my life. And these, and I've been collecting concert posters forever. And this is part of the collection that are framed and live in my study. That is outstanding. God, I think I think uh, poster art in the music industry is one of the coolest uh, forms of art in terms of graphics, because it's yes, like it is. it's no limits creativity. You have like this this radical musical, you know, trying trying to create a visual representation of of musical theory or context is like yeah I don't know. Do your best, man. So. So Eli, we were just talking a second ago right before Ryan had, had jumped on here. So with your trip to Vegas where you just were this past few days or week, was that for a work thing then, the music thing? Or it was. was. That... Yes, work, music. So what was that all about? I'm currently working for a band from Athens, Georgia called Widespread Panic. And uh, I worked for Zach Brown Band for 12 years and that ended last fall and so I jumped on with these panic guys and we were in Vegas and played three nights there and it was great. Mm. I love Vegas. I always have fun there. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Vegas is great. So, uh, how, how often are you doing the music thing and how often are you doing the ceramic thing? Cause you know, I, I know of Waldo ceramics. I know I I've, I've very briefly seen your work mainly cause you're so, uh, uh, overwhelmed by people flocking to your stand to get first dibs on it at the national show. But uh, what does that look like in terms of, of divide of your time? I make it when I, I make the pots when I can make the pots. Mm-hmm. My grandmother always said you bail the hay when the sun shines. So when the sun's shining in the music business, I'm bailing hay over there. When the sun's not shining there, I'm across the street making pots. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why did you start making pots? You do bonsai yourself, or did you just find ceramic? Like, I do. Yeah. Okay. Cool. You got your and so mm-hmm. it was like I, you may, you were going to make them for your own tree, kind of a thing. Kind of. I mean, I really did think about making them commercially, and it all—it's all—it's all kind of kind of Rodney's fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that guy—that guy, that guy I, is responsible for so so many bad ideas. I, no, I blame I blame him for a lot <laughs> because Rodney has a pot collection that that won't quit. Yeah, it's it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And you know, I took I I finally found Rodney and asked him to be my teacher, and he did. I mean, the more I familiarized myself over there, the deeper he would let me go into the vault. Yeah. And that's where I came across the first Max Braverman pot pots I ever saw, the first Don Goulds, and those things just turned me on. Oh, man. Don Gould pots just really excite me in so many ways. I, I, I feel you. I saw uh, Ira had compiled uh, some information from another podcast that you had done, and when you referenced Braverman and Gould, I just thought... Okay, this is a man whose taste runs deep in the North American vein of ceramics for bonsai. Not a lot right. of current generation ceramicists know who Don Braverman and, and Don Gould were. Max right. Braverman. Is it Ma- Max Braverman? Max Braverman. Correct. Yeah. Correct. 
So what were those guys like for people like myself? I mean, I, did I, you know I saw that. I, I wasn't familiar with their work. No, I did not. Um, Braverman's pots are somewhat crude and avant-garde. Mm-hmm. The thing about his pots is every time I held one, I could feel his hands in the work and see his hands in the work. And that always really turned me on. Mm-hmm. Because they're not perfect. You can see where he may, might have boogered it up and maybe tried to fix it or didn't. Mm-hmm. And I just like that. Those those flaws become features and they're endearing. And, and have you ever had exposure to any of the sort of old school European potter's work like a, a Derek Aspinall, a Brian Albright, a, a, a John? Only Pitt? on the Internet. Uh-huh. Only on the Internet. I've held one Peter Krebs pot in my hand. Uh-huh. 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 And uh quality of the clay is what spoke to me there. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I think um I think like a lot of things European and bonsai related, a lot of European bonsai related things l- look give you a certain impression through photograph that is different than when you see it in person, and that's a really interesting experience for me. But there is there is no mistaking when you were talking about Max uh, Braverman, and you were talking about you could see where he boogered it up and kind of tried to fix it. Derek Aspinall pots are known for, uh, you know, they're kind of known for being made of inferior clays or things that were kind of patched together, you know, and, and just sort of like a uh, it was like that original like I don't know making it out of what you got kind of a vibe. But man, they were beautiful and, and and really highly coveted and sought after in Europe. And I, I think about where you're at as a North American ceramicist now, you know, you really are coming in. I, I know there have been other North American ceramicists, but Ron Lang and Sarah Rayner really define, I think, the the first super generation. Yeah. You know, the beetle, the beetles and stones of American bonsai pots. Yeah, right, right. And it's not to say there weren't people before the beetles and stones, but it's to say that, like, that's when American ceramics started to really become unnoticed and and people became aware, right? Uh huh. Yes. And so, if you consider that kind of first generation rock and roll on the mainstream, if you will, or a greater awareness, uh, Waldo Ceramics is now coming in as 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 the next generation and like what 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 do you do what do you build on I know I've experienced that in bonsai but this is a ceramic discussion right I hope you're right about that I really do well that's not and to put pressure on just, you or anything well thanks <laughs> but you do have Ron's kiln so there's that yep I'm getting closer to getting it um fireable so yeah almost ready nice nice What's your history with with Ron? Because I know you he, he influenced you over the past several years. I think didn't he? You know, it kind of starts a little bit before Artisans Cup, mm. and I hit him with a blind a cold call email, saying I would like to learn from you. Cool. And I got an email back saying that's very flattering, but we are newly retired and we were looking forward to enjoying our retirement and not teaching. So I remember a story about a young American kid who kept hammering a Japanese master to go and learn from him. <laughs> so I kept at it. I kept emailing him. And then I, show, I, I went to Artisan's Cup with Rodney and saw that they were there. And, you know, I can be around rock stars all day long and not 
not bad an eye, but I saw Ron Lang and it was a little, I was a little intimidated to walk up to him. But I bought a pot to break the ice. Told him I was still interested. When he said, well, we're still not really interested, but I will <laughs> give you a little insider information. We're moving to North Carolina in a year. And we never know what happens after that. We'll, we'll at least be a lot closer to you. I hammered him again in a year. And um, what really happened is that I was a vendor at the Winter Silhouette Show in Kannapolis. And they were too, because they were newly there. They had gotten the studio set up. They'd made enough work to vend. And we were across the aisle from one another. So we got to know each other and hang out. And he saw what I was trying to do. And he said, I see that you have potential. So I think I would like to work with you a little bit. So I got, you know, I invited myself over and worked with them for a weekend. And it went really well. And I worked really hard to um, clean all the dishes after breakfast to make an impression on Sharon mostly. And uh, the next year in Kannapolis, that was a quick weekend. It was three days and we just made stuff and talked stuff. And, you know, I, he, he uh, answered all my questions, showed me lots of things. And at the end, he said, no, listen, don't go back to Atlanta and try to make Ron Lang pots. Just go back and make Eli pots. And you know what I did? I went straight back to Atlanta and I, and I made 12 Ron Lang pots and I got two out of it because all the rest of them failed. Hmm. The next December, fast forward almost a year, and we were back in Kannapolis, right across the aisle from one another. And Sharon says, so when are you coming back? I said, as soon as you'll have me. She said, come in February. Done. Hmm. So I got to go back for a second run. And it was just great, you know, to be in the presence of greatness influences you greatly. Mm -hmm. So I was in the presence of greatness in both of those characters. And, uh, I benefited for it. And it seemed like both times I went and studied with them when I came back, the things that I took away were that were the biggest things were really the smallest things. Mm. I was just doing this one little thing in a way that I could have been doing it better and it made all the difference. So whatever it takes, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Really yeah. interesting. Hmm. Yeah, Ron, I mean, you know, his background at the Maryland Institute of Art as a professor, I mean, that guy's that guy has worked with more creative people and educated, you know, more talented ceramicists as far as the ceramic pursuit than I have to believe any any ceramicist involved in bonsai. So what a what a treat. And then I mean, how did it come about that he was like, "Hey Eli, do you want my kiln?" And how has it come about that you would take a kiln of that scale? That came about because I was planning a gas kiln anyway. And there's a wonderful cat up near Charlotte named Preston Tolbert, who makes a mean bonsai pot. Yeah, I like Preston's work a lot. And Preston is also a kiln builder. And he had invited, I met him the very first year of Kannapolis. He was a vendor there. And I met him and we got on real well and we kept in touch. And once I started making pots, he invited me up to do a wood firing with him. Went up a few times and did that and, and discussed, you know, not only wood kilns, but gas kilns. And the plan was for Preston to come down and build a kiln with me. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along me in Ron's path, I explained that that was going to happen. And then when he decided to re-retire, he thought about me and his kilns Said, I got to move this thing along. And, you know, I'd love for you to have it. He's like, if you're thinking about doing this with Preston, he was like, I can make this work for you in the same kind of budget that you're thinking about spending with Preget, 
Preston and make it even sweeter because of all the shelving that I will allow you to have with this mm. and all the, chem- the glaze chemicals and clay making chemicals. He just, you know, for what I paid, he just dumped all this stuff in my lap, which is, I couldn't decide if it was a blessing or a curse. I still don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I- Lots of people were talking about passing the torch. I said, Ronnie, are you passing the torch or are you throwing a torch at my head? <laughs> which is it? Yeah. I, I I I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to ask you this, but but Ira opened the door, and you're continuing to talk about it. I mean, like Eli, I don't know you well enough to 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 understand or know if you feel pressure uh, having that proximity to Ron and taking over his kiln and whatnot. But like, what was I? I don't think you should. I don't think you should in any in any way uh, f- feel that. But I'm not you. Do you feel it? Right. No. And here's why. Because I'm wise enough to know for a fact that I am not Ron Lang. Mm-hmm. I cannot do what Ron Lang does. I've seen every trick. I've seen every secret. And I can, and I can do everything exactly like he did it, and I'll never make it like he does. Mm-hmm. I learned that working in recording studios way back when. There's a really world-famous record producer from Atlanta who did Pearl Jam and Bob Dylan and Stone Temple Pilots. He did everybody. Brendan O'Brien is his name. He did the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and he's done every Bruce Springsteen. He's done everybody. And I was working in a recording studio here in Atlanta, and I was his assistant one time on a Bruce Springsteen project. And I asked him if he minded if I would chart out some of his settings to reuse sometimes. He said, you can write the whole thing down. You can take as many pictures as you want. You can do it exactly like I do it. It's never going to sound like I did it. So I learned that lesson a long time ago. Yeah, but what is that? What is that? What's the difference then? What's the intangible? Timing, situation, like what? what Timing, soul, intention, um, skill, tact. It, it, the, the list goes on and on. Is, is this like when people listen to um, like a piece of music or maybe classical music and then a different symphony, orchestra, et cetera, plays it and it sounds completely different to like a trained ear? Because I, I don't know I that so. like maybe maybe this is something you're noticing as uh, you know a professional ceramicist. And may, would, I, would I see that? I mean, I'm not, I'm not as schooled as you are. Well, if you look at my pots and you look at Ron's pots, you'll see that I'm I'm not Ron Lang, nor will I ever be Ron Lang. Yeah. Sure, but yeah. but you don't want to be Ron be Lang. Su- You're not trying to be Ron's Ron Lang. Inf- no, Ron's influences are far removed from what my influences are. Nice, you know. Ron didn't even know who I saw about Max Braverman. He's like, I don't. It's like, did you know Max Braverman? Who is that? So you know, our influences are just coming from different places. Yeah, tight move, tight move. Yeah. What- what about yeah. the couple of pots that you said you made that when you came back that first trip or whatever, and you said you made 12 Ron Lang pots and two of them made it. What would you mm-hmm. say about those two particular pots versus a Ron Lang pot? Obviously they're not the same, but what, what would you talk about mm-hmm. with those? Like, what did that look like? I would say that the only reason those two made it and the other ones didn't was luck. Mm. Cause that was pretty, you know, it's still ra- rather early on in your career. Yeah. In my career. Right. So I'm still early on in my career, I hope. Yeah, how long have you been doing it now then? I mean, and and, 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 and how many pots do you make a year? I mean, what does this look like? Because it sounds like you're making, you're, you're largely leaning on music and, and the ceramics happen kind of when they happen, but it's not, you're not making a small commitment to ceramics. I mean, let's be real. No, I've built a studio. Yeah, cool. And I bought a kiln, a couple of kilns. So 
So yeah, it's um I I have I think I've been producing about 150 pots a year. Mm. I'd like to say that that number's going up, but it's kind of not because what I do think is that what I'm making is getting better. Mm-hmm. Just through logical progression and um just growth, you know. If you keep doing it, you're just bound to grow. Yeah. Just like anything else, bonsai or anything else, I think. So yeah, I'm happy with what I'm making now. I'm I've I've gotten to where the you know I I got in it and I want I knew I wanted to make big pots right away because Rodney's trees are big, and I needed to see some Rodney sized trees in my pots. So I started trying to make big pots immediately. And right now I'm make I'm making eighteen to twenty one or twenty two inch pots pretty easily with a lot of success and I'm trying to get over the hump and get to that next sort of tier of sizes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, Eli, can I ask you a question? How much more popcorn you got in that little tin that you're messing around <laughs> with? Cause, cause, cause I'm enjoying it Here's with you. <laughs> I keep trying to put it down, but it's tough. I uh, know. I hear you. No, I hear you. And I don't want to deprive you of that experience, but I keep hoping that you've eaten all the popcorn. There's more, but I'll just leave it. There. I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate it. What? What? I mean, I, I appreciate that you're guiding me. I appreciate that. Oh, no, there's no guidance. The podcast, uh, you know, the best part about this is we just get to sit down and 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 uh, talk with people whose work we respect. And like I said, you know, I have a limited amount of exposure, not from the perspective of not having looked at it, but I haven't actually interacted with your work. I haven't put a tree in it, and that's something that I would like to right. really really change. Um, but there are some pieces out there, you know, like I think about the octopus pot that you made that Mauro Stenberger utilized for one of his hornbeams, right. and, you know, there's some pieces out there that are super innovative, that are very unique and standalone. Todd Schlafer's used your work quite a bit, and I've seen what Todd's done with it. Yeah, and I and I mm-hmm. love it. Um and I would Me love, too. yeah, I would love to come back to the ceramics, but like this whole musical influence, how did that all start? How did you get in? Because these are not small bands that you're working with. This is very right. serious. Right. You know, I just grew up and I just loved music from a very early age. All me and both of my brothers, you know, our mother was influential with Beatles records and Elvis records and John Denver and yada, yada. And my parents took us to a concert pretty early on. When I was about when I was six or eight years old, we went to our first concert and I just have always loved that energy of live music and the lights go down and the crowd goes up. And that just always has been exciting to me and my brothers and my oldest brother became an artist in the 90s. And um, I was had moved to Atlanta, was working in recording studios, wasn't going very far. And he invited me to come out on his and work on his tour. So I couldn't really say no. That was 1996. And I went out and became a mer- merchandise manager for him and um, loved it. But I also was more interested in studio work. And I liked Atlanta better than Nashville. So I moved back to Atlanta and started doing studio stuff again. And eventually that led to me engineering and producing small band records. And one of those small bands were friends of mine. And they were going on tour and asked me to tag along and be their on the road sound guy. So I was trained for that. I knew how to do it. So I went out with them and started doing that. And that led to me, you know, they also needed a tour manager. So I kind of started wearing all those hats. And uh, I went from being a tour manager to being the tour manager and a sound guy for another band and then another band and then another band. 
and you just make connections and it's just, you know, I think music business, bonsai, pottery, everything is about the relationships we build along the way of doing all these things. The music is great. The pots are great. The trees are great, but it's really the people you meet that make the difference, I think. Mm -hmm. And um, I knew some guys and uh, when Zach Brown sort of hit the big time, when a band gets that big, they need a tour accountant. So one friend that I knew had done that work before and he was asked to be the tour accountant for Zach Brown. He said, I'd love to do it, but I'm off the road. I'm not going back on the road anymore. So he said, okay. The man said, well, okay, will you, will you help me find somebody? So he and the guy that I'm working for now with widespread panic started brainstorming of who was out there working hard, who needed to bump up into the, to the bigger realms. And my name came up and I got the opportunity to do the interview and I passed and I went out on the road and 12 years later, I'm, I'm here. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And you still love it as much as you did? I do. I enjoy the going. I'm a Sagittarius, so I always like going and doing something. So I do like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was. I just didn't get a huge gig that was going to take me across Europe for the summer. So um, that was. I was supposed to find out yesterday, and what I found out was that I'm not getting it. And it kind of bummed me out. I was a huge artist and a huge tour, and that's okay. Yeah. Yep. You're, me, you, you're trying. You're trying to give me more sock. I can see it. Yeah. No. I feel like. I feel like after you made the request that I got to deliver. I'm like a, a little insecure about right? it. You know. Oh no. Yeah. yeah. Do you, Do you still play? I thought I read somewhere that you were a drummer or something in the past as well. I was. I was when I was a kid. Yeah. See, I, I never. I, I've done a lot of things in my life. I have a lot of chapters in my life, and I've done a lot of things relatively well. I've never done anything super great. So I've told myself I'm going to do bonsai and I'm going to do pottery for the rest of my life because I've done a lot of things up to a point. And if it would have kept going, I really might've been great, but I quit. Mm-hmm. So I quit playing drums, but I still wanted to do music. So I figured out a way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and this might be a good question to kind of transition back into the ceramic discussion. I think it's something Ryan's talked about with a lot of, a lot of different people, but there was a comment you had made somewhere that I saw about um, kind of the craftsman concept versus an artist concept and the idea of uh-huh. that prolific body of work, an expression that Ryan likes to use when he talks about like his own art. Um, mm-hmm. Like how does that feel for you with like this far into your ceramics career? And when do you feel like you're kind of becoming more of an artist versus a craftsman kind of using your own, you know, terminology, I guess. Good question. Very good question. Uh, of course we all want to, I want to feel like I'm an artist. I can claim artistry, I think, but, um, uh, I think that I'm transitioning there now because I think you just spend that first amount of time getting the technical ability down. And like I say, I've gone from making X size to I'm ready to move up to the next size. And I think that, um, along with that, I'm also ready to expand on my own palette of, contours and pro- profiles and lips and shapes and things like that. And uh, I'm, I'm happy doing that now. So I hope I'm in that transition now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perfect timing with me building my own studio, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There seems, seems like there's synergy there. Now, did you, did you say that you grew up in, in Atlanta or in the, in, in Georgia? In South Georgia, way South Georgia, near Florida, Valdosta, Georgia. Uh huh. My wife and I, my wife and I are both from down there. Oh, wow. Great place to collect trees. Oh, what kind of trees? American hornbeams, hop hornbeams, uh, ball cypress, some just lots of swamp trees. There's hawthorns down there. Ooh, 
Ooh, yeah. spicy. Road Wait, trip. Hang right. on. Yeah, so hang on. So so uh the hornbeams, hop hornbeam and American hornbeam are, are swamp and bog trees. Yeah, I mean you got the swamp here, and then one little level up you've got the horn American hornbeams, and another little level up you've got the hop hornbeams, and then north up higher elevation than that, you a lot of times you'll see beach. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and what kind of ele- I mean beach, what kind of beach? American beach? Mm-hmm. And does American beech have a, a leaf that you find to be attractive for bonsai? They're a little big, mm-hmm. and the growth is a little bit coarse, but you can sort of manipulate them a little bit. Have you ever seen a really well done American beech as a bonsai? I have. Ooh, Rodney. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And they're, what they're, they're tough though. They're coarse. Uh, you know, I'll give you that. Lots of people complain about that, but I have one that's a cascade that um, I'm really fond of. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to. Hey, listen, ponderosa pine is my favorite species. Everybody talks about coarse. That's the king of coarse as far as uh, native North American bonsai species go, and I think it's the best that we got. You know, so it's not about right. coarseness, but you you start to adjust the aesthetic to those characteristics. Now I want to take it a step farther. How do you make a pot for an American beach? Does that change your approach and, and the vernacular that you use in your ceramics? Because you did talk about liking the lab project, more collaboration and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, the collaboration of the ceramic with the tree is really sort of the conversation we're all trying to have. And you coming right. from the ceramics and, and working with these species, how does that impact your work? I mean, I have not made many pots specifically for my tree, for my trees saying, Hey, I'm going to make this pot for this tree, mm-hmm. but my cascade beach, I did make a pot for it. And, um, I just tried to choose my glaze colors and I, you know, I spray my glazes and try to overlap all the colors. So it's sort of an ombre effect from color to color or just a nice fade or whatever. And I chose, I chose wisely and it looks really nice for my tree, I think. Mm-hmm. What do you do about what do you do about clay? I mean, you talked about the Peter Krebs pot, and the, and the thing that came to mind was like clay quality. I've handled right. a lot of Peter's pots, and I think he does. I think he did focus. You know, I think John Pitt. I brought him up earlier as John Pitt, maybe the king of European bonsai ceramics from clay quality. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, you know, and now there's Tom. Now there's Tom Benda, which it's tough to argue with Tom. Right. Yeah, but I mean, right. when you talk about clay quality in North America, do you have access to differing qualities of clay how does that work for you sort of um i'm using i typically am using a commercial clay right now that is a it's it's a clay body that helps me build bigger pieces but it's not a it's not like that huge it's not you know goizan or or uh peter krebs or whatever that kind of like super quality clay is it works so i use it Mm -hmm. so but in the transition, you know, with the Ron Lang kiln, I also bought the Ron Lang clay mixer and recipe. Uh-huh. So eventually, eventually, I'm not a quick study on things. They, things take me a while. Getting this kiln going is taking a lot longer than I wish. And getting this clay body built will take a lot longer than I want as well. But I have the pieces in place. As the French chefs say, you have to do that, you know, to, all the tools for the job. And I'll get to making that Ron Lane clay body, which I think is a beautiful clay body. When you say 
it's not a Gyozon, it's not a Peter Krebs clay body, and you look at a clay body and you say, that's a good clay body, what does that mean from a ceramicist's perspective, or, from, or just from your perspective? It's the touch, the feel of cotton, you know what I mean? It just feels nice, it looks nice, it's just, it just, it's almost luxurious, if you will. Mm-hmm. Is that a fine grain then, a fine grain clay? It doesn't have to be. Okay, okay. There's just some tactile quality that speaks to me when it's there. Uh huh. Have you handled I any mean, shoes Peter, on? I don't. Uh, if I did, I don't know. Uh huh. Yeah, because I mean, his clay, his clay was all about grog. You know, shoes on. I mean, uh-huh. he did. He did finer. He did finer grain clay, like a gyozon, uh, mm-hmm. like a. You know, and I, st- I, f- I still find Yamaki. I still find Yamaki, the old generation Yamaki red pots. I think that's one of the better clays that came out of Japan. If you go to Antique Chinese and you talk about the Murasaki Shude and some of these really, really high-level clays that no longer exist in the world, like, yeah, okay, sure, great, but, like, what's accessible in North America? Because Ron Lang's clay is very rough. It's very, very rough, mm-hmm. but my goodness, right. the color and what it held uh, as character and quality is is totally different than a than a right. Japanese or Chinese ceramic. Right, agreed. Yeah. I think it's just what what you what do you like and what speaks to you. And I think some of those potters that we named their their clay bodies are just somewhat like, like I said, luxurious, or they just feel magical to the touch. Yeah, I'm thinking a little bit of Tracy Francis and her work from Australia, totally different environment, climate, cultural, you know, inspirations, et cetera. And what she tended to make was uh, it's much groggier and heavier kind of feeling. But I guess that's a completely right. different aesthetic than what you're, you're kind of more interested in a little bit smoother feel, I guess, than smoother finish. I feel like Tracy's pots are trying to kill you like the Australian landscape are, you know, <laughs> like I feel I've, and I, and it's got this, there's some Aboriginal touch in there. Yeah. There's some organic notes, but it's just like, there is a harshness to Australia as a continent that is like, uh, I guess, I guess they call it Oceania now, don't they? Um, but, the, but there is a harshness to the Australian landscape that is, is is sharp and is and is cutting and is 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 uh, severe. And her her ceramics carry that. So who who's work out there right now? I mean, obviously the people you mentioned earlier for some inspirations for you, Eli, and then obviously Ron mm-hmm. had an impact on you. Of of other people mm-hmm. out there, who who else's work or clay bodies or what are some things that you see out there that are either inspiring or that you you know like or what does that look like? Um, there's a few things I think uh, somebody from out your way now. Um, I like what I see that he's working on and what he's doing. And I met him and that made me like his work even more. Mm-hmm. And um, I appreciate Roy Minerai for what he's, for what he's done. He has been relentless in his pursuit of things. And I certainly appreciate um, the grit he's put into it. And again, you meet, I met the guy and that made me like his work even more because he's such a nice person. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say his last yeah. name? Minerai? I don't know if I'm saying it right or not. Yeah, interesting. I don't know anybody that actually knows. I always think yeah. it's, I think it's Minari, but I'm not Minari. positive either. I always That's what said I've Minari. Always... I didn't know. Oh. I didn't know. The AI at the end sounds like it should be I. Oh, interesting. Okay. I don't know. 
Yeah. It sounds like that to me too. Like Mirai. Mirai. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There we it's go. Mirai. There we go. This How do you pronounce I like Mirai? that. I like that synergy that you find in there. I would love to work with Roy's pots so much more. Those yeah. his pots are in demand, in demand. Uh, right. And it feels like he found the wood firing. Do you think you'll pursue more wood firing with Preston? Um, I, I, will, I don't think I'll turn it down. Uh-huh. And I think eventually, you know, my wife and I live in downtown Atlanta, basically. I couldn't have a wood, fire, a wood kiln here. But we're talking about retirement plans and what, what do we do? How do we live out our life? And we want to move. We both grew up in the country and we want to move back to a country setting, I think, for to play it all out. And I think if I did that, I would certainly build a wood kiln wherever I land. What's So it could be in the future. Yeah. Interesting. Now, when I used to ask Ron Lang, like, hey, Ron, you want to fire in a wood-fired kiln? Because there was a moment in time where there was discussion of building an Onagama kiln at Mirai, not because I planned on getting into ceramics, but because th- there is a ritual around Onagama kilns that I find to be so romantic and incredibly beautiful sure. and, and to invite right. different ceramicists. You know, the limitation is obviously the kiln construction, and then the second limitation is a more or less the firing, control of the firing, having sort of a, mm-hmm. a, a master of ceremony, if you will, who uh, really, really kind of guides that process. And, and that, that I thought that was a really, I thought that was a really interesting thing. And so I approached Ron, and I was like, "You want to do this?" And he's like, "Ah, nah." And I said, why not? Yeah. And he said, I don't want to make I don't want to make pots for a wood firing. I said, what does that mean? He said, my pots would have to change. I would have to make pots for a wood fire. And I still don't know what that means, you know, because he never did it. But like if if you're doing a wood firing, you putting the same pots in a wood firing that you put in a, a gas kiln? I would, yes. Mm-hmm. Ron Lang might not. Mm-hmm. It might be a, a, a an alteration of the recipe of the clay body to help withstand the higher temperatures or whatever or the highest temperatures. That's that's what I've got on that. Yeah. Better question for him or Preston, I think. What what do you what what do you think about uh, Jonathan Cross's work? I think it's interesting. Uh huh. It all looks a bit chunky to me. Uh huh. That's not a diss, Jonathan. Yeah. I promise. Yeah. Um. It's interesting. It really is. It's uh. It's innovative. It's different. I respect it. He is an artist, and I completely respect that. Yeah. Um, I don't know that sure. I, it is. I don't know if I'd know how to pair a tree with it. Yeah. God, that's been the best exploration of my bonsai career. Yeah. Is trying to work with Jonathan's pieces. Ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. Hands down. Absolutely. It's, it's, right. it's been a pleasure, you know, and I, 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 not everybody needs to do that. Um, and not everybody should do that. And I think the more important right. point is not, not everybody nor can many do what Jonathan Cross does. He is he is right. truly one of a kind. Um, right. But I but it's interesting to ask another ceramicist what they think of Jonathan Cross's work because it is so out of the box compared to what most bonsai ceramics are are, are, are seeking to achieve. You know, right? <clears throat> do you have like a style or shape? Like a, looking at a lot of your work, and you've got some of the, some of the unique pieces that Ryan had talked about earlier. But it seems like the big, the big, large oval seems to be kind of a, or maybe a trademark. That's kind of my, yeah, that's my thing. I yeah. love making ovals. Yeah. yeah. Why? Yeah. I think because of where I grew up. I think that I, I don't grow any. Uh, I don't grow conifers at all. I grow all deciduous and broadleaf evergreens. 
And I think that that influence comes from where I grew up because I grew up on a farm in South Georgia that was 400 acres and there's a river across the back. So we, you know, spent our youth in the woods and swamps. And other than the bald cypress, there's a lot of trees with a lot of feminine movement to them. And uh, I think so that's the kind of trees that I like to grow. And I think they work best in oval pots. So that's just what I like to make. And uh, they're a challenge and they're a process. And I love the process of making them, throwing them and then altering and then marrying the, the wall to the slab. I, I like all that. Yeah, I watched, that is, uh, I watched that video that I think maybe you just sent a post a link to it recently. And I watched that video about mm-hmm. a half an hour of your process. And it was really right. interesting. And I, I guess that maybe that's the longest time I've watched some, you know, you kind of showed a lot of the steps, maybe all the steps along the way. And I really appreciated mm-hmm. some of the details that you were going through towards the end. And uh, I mm-hmm. think a comment you had made a couple times was like, you were trying to improve the user experience, which I thought was an interesting yeah. comment and really like kind of heartfelt and, and really awesome because the tie down holes and making sure that, you know, there were smooth edges everywhere and things kind of just, mm-hmm. they would be functional and still be beautiful. And I just, right. and I really appreciated that about that video. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Rodney and Charlie made fun of me one time because, you know, they were my first sounding board. You know, every time I got a pot out of the kiln from the, from the public studio I was working in, I w- it was about 10 minutes from their house. So I'd run it over there and show it to them because I was so excited and I wanted to hear what they had to say about it. So they're very influential in how I, and still how I make things. And uh, there was one pot that was a little bit rough on the inside and Charlie pointed it out and I told myself, I'm going to smooth out every edge from now on there. I'm never going to leave a, an unsmooth area, you know, which is not true because I do some uh, tactile things now for texture and whatnot. So they're Rodney and Charlie, they're to blame. <laughs> do you think that, do you think that your experience with music is influencing your ceramics and your taste in ceramics and the way that you make them? Absolutely. I have a very good, uh, answer for this question and i'm glad you asked i am a deadhead and i love the grateful dead and when i'm making pots i'm listening to the dead hmm. and they have thousands and thousands of shows that you can access and listen to and none of them are perfect none you know a lot of them are great but none of them are perfect they are full of flaws just like a max braverman pot but i kind of feel like my my you know i try not to ever make the same pot twice and the Grateful Dead never played the same show twice. So I try to take a lot of uh, influence for that in my work. I want to, I want to make every piece unique. You know, even if I made the same shape, same lip, same whatever, the glaze is going to be different. So I like that um, form of improvisation, I guess, mm. and not having to have things so perfect, because sometimes the mistakes are really where the magic is. Yeah, starting with that kind of basic concept, but all the million fracturing ideas that can come out of it, I guess. The glazes, the surface treatments, banding, feet, Mm -hmm. I mean, just Mm -hmm. all the different things. And it looks like you're starting to play with some of those surface treatments, maybe more now than you have in the past. I think you had something with like a a pine cone or something, like some of these like uh, kind of organic materials that you were rolling over the surfaces to produce something, or you had the chopstick you were rolling over. The surface. Yeah, that was of... cho- that video did have a chopstick, and yeah. that chopstick came from Rodney. Rodney cut that chopstick and gave it to me, and I tried to use it for. I use it to pot some trees up with, and I try to use it for texture things sometimes. Specifically on a big heavy lip, I like to do, you roll that chopstick and get that thatched roof looking texture. 
mm-hmm. it speaks to me and it, and it, uh, and it usually works out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, I mean, what do you, when you say you're going to do bonsai for the rest of your life and make ceramics and, and you aspire, you know, you've never hit the peak of what you think your potential is in any of your endeavors, but you think that maybe ceramics or bonsai could be that, like, what is that? What, what when you say that, when you, because I will, I will say that, that that resonated with me when you talked about that. Before I went to Japan and started apprenticing, I definitely recognized that I had not lived up to my full potential in anything I had done to that point. And that really mm-hmm. drove me in my apprenticeship. You know, I was a pretty good basketball right. player, pretty good soccer player, pretty good at, you know, school education, et cetera, whatever. But I was not exceptional at any of those things. You know, and like when I went and I studied with Mr. Kimura, I certainly had a doubt that I was going to be exceptional at bonsai in any way, but I was willing to, I knew I wanted to dedicate and devote to that and, you know, through that, continue to pursue that excellence as I see it in my mind. What is that vision for you? What does that mean? What is, what is reaching some sort of, do you have some sort of vision out there or is it just like you just want it to become a fluency? Is it a feeling? What is that? I think for me, it is, um, I want to always learn and grow. And I think that both of these entities of bonsai and ceramics are both things that I can do forever and never stop learning or growing. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's an end, you know, there's not an end like crescendo. I think it's the journey really of uh, just continuing to gain knowledge and gain experience and gain process and just continue doing both. I had a rough year with my trees last year. I've got a rebuilding year this year. I sort of um, fell, the pandemic was pretty hard on me and I got a little depressed towards getting out of the pandemic and uh, my trees certainly are telling me that they were depressed too. Yeah. So I'm rebuilding some things right now and just trying to make sure, you know, things come back and that, you know, everything's starting to push now in the spring and, just want to be present for the trees this year and make sure they have what they need to uh, rebuild some bigger and keep thriving. Yeah, interesting. We we really took a hit. We took a super hit last year at Mariah. I mean, the the 117 degree heat really changed. Really changed. I mean, we 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 have changed. We have we have uh, altered the course of so many trees' realities at Mariah through. Our, our explorations but man when mother nature put her foot down last year it was uh it was humble it was so humbling that i've never seen anything like that i've never seen that kind of i didn't even know that that kind of devastation could could occur so quickly uh right so I, I, likewise yeah really yeah i mean we had some super a week of super hot weather that i just sort of almost slept through mm-hmm. and uh so i missed a lot of water you know my normal watering especially when you get trees on a on, a, on, on, on their own schedule of watering, they're used to what you're doing with the watering, and then you sort of fall off of that. Mm-hmm. Boy, did I learn quick. Yeah. Crispy leaves and just sad-looking entities that just bum me out big time. Yeah. How many trees do you maintain? It depends on if that includes um, project trees or not. I just, I, I, I'm just, I think that's the best way to get a feel for like, what is your, what is your bonsai practice look like? That's more what I'm, what I'm asking about. I don't I mean, numbers don't matter to me. I just, what does it look I like? I probably have 70 or 80 trees in bonsai pots mm-hmm. and another 25 or 30 projects 
this is not a small endeavor for you. No, no. I mean, I've got, I got real hot and heavy on collecting. Mm-hmm. Russell Baggett and I are, are partners in crime on collecting. So we get out and we do a little, you know, we go a little crazy and before you know it, you got a lot of stuff. Yeah. So yeah. some of those trees are obviously in, in uh, Waldo street pottery ceramics, but what other, what other pots do you have for those 70 or 80 trees? I've got um, a nice boxwood in a Ross Adams pot. Mm. I've got a few things in Ron Lang pots. Ron was nice enough to make me a couple of things where he would sign my name on the bottom or something. I have one pot from the first time that I went over there that I made the pot and he finished it after I left and glazed it. And we have both our names on the bottom that one of my boxes is in. That's very an endearing pot to me. Cool. I have a cousin in Valdosta, Georgia, who is a potter, and she was very, I, I blame her too, like I blame Rodney, because she became a potter, and I was really enthralled with her work, and I went down one time and visited her studios and got so so jazzed, I had to, that's when I really tried to make pots, was after that, and she, she has made me a few pots that I'm excited about and have some trees in. Very Charles nice. and Michelle Smith, MC2, I have some, some of their work in the, in the garden. Uh, Tom Demig, I have a few. John Hudson was a former Atlanta bonsai pot maker. I have a few of his pieces in the in the garden. Cool. That's the long. I think that's about the long and short of it. Tell me, tell me about John. How do you say his last name? John John Angel, Gene Angel, John Gene Angel, John Uh Gene Angel. Yeah, I, yes. I, I, it sounds like he had an influence on you. And I, I, I look at John's work online. I don't know that since Von Banting, I don't know that anybody's captured Bald Cypress better in the bonsai form than John. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, I think that he deserves some attention for, for that. He is uh, somebody whose YouTube channel I, I stumbled across and I watched all of his videos a hundred times. Mm-hmm. And one time we were, uh, the band I was working with, Zach Brownman, was playing over in Charleston. And I sent him a cold call. I'm a cold caller, man. I'll just call you up or just send you an email and say, hey, check me out. So I invited he and his wife to the show and they came out. And again, I was starstruck. I, I can, I mean, I've stood in the room and talked with Mick Jagger for 30 minutes, but I was starstruck when John Jen Angel showed up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, his best advice to me by the end of the day was if you're in Atlanta and you're serious about bones, I find Rodney. So I found Rodney and Rodney became my teacher. Mm-hmm. And, but um, John collects all his bald cypress. I've been over a number of times to collect bald cypress with John had a wonderful time in the swamp up to my chest in water and diving down to see if it's the tree I want and then sawing it out of the muck and boy, what, what some good times those are. Yeah. Yeah. The swamp is, yeah. the swamp is magic. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know why he hasn't gotten more love. I mean, I, 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 I certainly, you know, it's like I see his work and I'm like, well, this is really something special. You know, I feel this way and I talk about David da, uh, David Crust a lot with his Larch work. I don't think anybody's captured Larch uh-huh. better. Uh, I don't think uh-huh. anybody's captured Bald Cypress better, you know, and, and it, it's really spectacular. I know Ron was aware of John and said, hey, do you know about this guy? And I said, yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm a fan. I'm a fan of what this guy's doing. Right. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, that's an easy thing to do is be a fan of what John does. But he also does great work with uh, 
slab plantings, stone plantings. Right. Yeah. He's very he's very great with all that stuff. Um, but again, he's just a super wonderful person too. And again, I'll go back to that forever. It's you know the trees are great, everything's great, but when the person is right and the relationship is right, that's what this whole whole shit is about. Yeah. Isn't it? Don't you feel to a degree like the trees are a mirror and you're drawn to their work maybe because the person is who they are? You know, I mean, have you really met an asshole whose trees are good? Probably. Huh. Huh. Probably. Hmm. I, I don't. Yeah, I think you could meet an asshole whose trees are meet meet the criteria of a, a, a good bonsai on a on a traditional level. I don't think you can meet right. an asshole whose trees are representing nature. I I, right. I I I have not experienced that yet. Haven't experienced that. You know, maybe p- people mm-hmm. think differently about that, and that's fine. But that for me is a, is a real gauge when you see people tapping into the natural growth <laughs> habit, the native environment, the authentic form. And I, I think that's also, you know, in the ceramics, Ira brought up Tracy Francis, but God, Tracy as a as an individual is spectacular too. I mean, she's amazing, you know, and her pots just speak to the Australian culture and landscape. And and I feel mm-hmm. like, I feel like what Ron brought to the table. Uh, again, you have somebody that's really, really breaking new ground, and, and tapping into things that are are authentic and honest, and you're seeing their art reflect the individual. Yeah, I think it's I think it's tough to be in any way sort of off base or fake or superficial or unaware of the self and to create powerful work that really draws uh, that really draws a significant amount of individuality. I, I just don't know that it's possible. But but you come right. from the music industry, and, and I would say that that is a that is potentially a a, a, a different story in that medium. Maybe. Mm. It could maybe. We'll see where all this music business stuff goes because I love doing that too. It's very exciting, and I love to travel and go and do. And uh, the next adventure awaits. The job I'm in now I love, but it's not enough work to uh, sustain me. So I'm interviewing now. I had a Zoom interview with New Kids on the Block earlier. So we'll see what kind of influence you think that'll bring to my pots. N-K-O-T-B. Nice. <laughs> That's, That's right. I want to see that too. That's interesting. I can't imagine that. That doesn't... That doesn't cast a big vision. Uh, I don't have anything that immediately comes to mind. What's, what about Atlanta? How influential is Atlanta? Like, how Atlanta fare in the pandemic? Like, what's the, what's the state of the city? I hung with Russell in, in Atlanta uh, uh-huh. a long time ago where, he and, where right. he and his wife had set up shop. And I, I, I thought it was really, really awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it is. It is. They got a great spot over there that just keeps getting better and better and better. Um, and I live about 10 blocks from there. Mm-hmm. My house and my studio are about 10 blocks from where they are. So I feel fortunate for that. But Atlanta is just bustling. It is just bursting at the seams with growth. Is that it's positive? Just, you know, uh, for the most part. Yeah. They say by 2030, we're going to take over Chicago as the third largest city in the country. No kidding. Which is, which is kind of crazy, which is crazy, but you, I can feel it. Uh-huh got that energy huh it does and it's that energy that brought me here and it's that energy that's going to drive me away i think yeah wow wow (laughs) tipping point time grinding you down like a new york kind of vibe where people go there to live for a moment but they don't stay kind of a thing i've been here since 95 so 
um, I've soaked up this city yeah. and I've done this city mm-hmm. and I love this city, but I'm going to want a little bit more quiet soon. Yeah. You know, less helicopters, less sirens, less just hot rods, just hauling ass down the street for no reason. Mm-hmm. All the, all, all and a wood kiln, and a, and a wood kiln to boot. <laughs> there we go. Hey, that's a, that's a cherry on top. Hey, hey. what yeah. about growing bonsai in the middle of Atlanta? You feel like moving to the country would be easier or more uh, conducive to your bonsai practice? I think it would be. It would just come with its own new set of circumstances. You know, I mean. One of the biggest challenges for me growing bonsai here are mosquitoes, believe it or not. Um, to get out in water in the evening is rough. Mm-hmm. It is rough. Mm-hmm. I mean, these mosquitoes hurt. I want nothing it's to do scary. with that. Man-eating mosquitoes in Atlanta. It's scary. It's hardcore. You, yeah. you got to watch yourself. That was Japan. It, I did Japan in the summertime. People, people, people talk about the beauty of Japan. Let me tell you something. There is no more miserable place to be than Japan in the middle of summer. Humidity. Wow. Those mosquitoes will knife. absolutely devour you. Especially, right? They especially liked me. Yeah, they specialize in, in young American men. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it was, and it was painful. And I got bit thirty-five times in an hour, one day helping Mister Kamura clean the pond at dusk, and he got bit once. That was when I knew. <laughs> that was when I knew I wasn't I wasn't made for Japan. I wasn't made for yeah. Japan. I think it, you got to have a lot of hate in your blood so that they don't bite you. Yeah, yeah, a lot of hate, a lot of toxicity. They're selective yeah. too. Mosquitoes sure. don't want they don't want to be drinking any nasty blood. They only want the good juju. They want the good juju. Yeah. They're taking the sweetness. Yeah, they want that natural right. vibe. That's right. That's right. I gotta, I gotta ask you, Eli, and this was uh, discussed a little bit earlier, but the, your your thoughts on the lab, and you really enjoyed that and the collaboration concept. And I know Ryan kind of mentioned it too, but like, what does that look yes. like for you in the future? Are you trying to do like more commission work? Are you trying to work with specific? I know you worked with Rodney a lot. Are there other collaborations that you're interested in pursuing, or what? What does that mean to you? Yes, there are. I love collaborating and um, using another artist for their skills. I just, I really love it. And uh, something good comes at it for, for everybody, I think. I mean, those octopus pots were really were really special to me. And the girl who participated in that with me was also named Eli. I don't know if y'all know that. But no. wow. uh, I say it, it took two Elis to make those octopus pots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I was out. Yeah, I was working with another a local artist who is a brilliant artist and I want to do more. We did a couple of things, and um, then he seems to have backed away, but I think he just got busy because he's a 3D modeler for TV and film, and he's very busy doing that. But he just does these brilliant characters, and uh, I'll grab a, I've got a pot here that he did this wolf motif on. Cool. Let's see it. It's, it's super <clears throat> interesting to think about uh, the ceramic the – ceramic also being more of a, uh, of a reflection of a person, you know, like I haven't really thought about that right. as much. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. Oh, geez. Can you see this? Yeah, that is hot. Can you see these wool, these wolves. Oh my God. That, that is incredible. Yeah. Let this me just give you our address. You can send that right on over. Dang. Gotcha. This is a guy whose work I found on Instagram and then I, and I fell in love with the work and then um, realized he was in Atlanta 
and just kept following him. And he had an art show where he was selling some prints. So I just went and I just, I mean, again, I just cold call, I just bum rushed him. I was like, dude, I'm a potter. I want to work with you. Show me that pot again. Show me that pot again. The, the, the pot itself. I mean, like pull back from the camera just so I can see the whole thing. And you made that pot. Yeah. It's like semi cascade. Guy, cascade. you got the touch, Eli. You really do have the touch, man. You have a beautiful nice sense of stuff. It's it's I it, try. I enjoy it. That is that's really that right there is something special. That's amazing. Thanks. You know, speaking yeah, of the this. speaking of the ceramicist kind of collaboration concept, have you followed um the Triscoli stuff at all? That the a few of the Europeans, Tom Benda, uh Thor, I have. I think Ovala, it's I think it's brilliant. I think Gerson. it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah here's another one from the same guy. I don't know if you can see this or not, but there's a, this is a dragon. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Oh, this is interesting. Is that blue and orange in there, too? Yeah. Mm. Like, fl- is that flame? God, that almost no, has like it's a comic just book vibe, under too, doesn't it? It has like oh. a comic book yeah. vibe. I, I, I feel Follow, that. Check out, this, check out this guy's Instagram. His name is X underscore Dosa, D-O-S-A underscore X. And and his graphics are just fantastic. Cool. Yeah, radical, radical. Yeah. So you're the talking. And the wolves really spoke to me. The wolves were badass, but you're talking about collaboration. I mean, I I almost feel like you have a calibration for working in the music industry at the level that you're working at. Your exposure to that high level of creativity. I, there is like a desensitization. There is a. Uh, an expectation or like I said, a calibration of working at that level with artists where I'm starting to realize, you know, pressure as far as Ron Lang goes. Now, you know, Waldo Ceramics has a reference for what is good creative output that is really, really high expectations. I w- I, I'm starting right. to recognize like, I mean, you know, hanging out with these musicians and then being like, I do ceramics. If you're going to say you do ceramics, you better do some fucking awesome ceramics. Right. Right. I made a, I made a, a bowl two years ago and I gave it to my boss at the time, which was Zach Brown. And, um, I didn't hear about it. My ego was a little bit hurt because I didn't hear about it for a while. But one day he just sort of like scooted over next to me in the catering room and said, that bowl you gave me was fucking epic. Mm. And Mm. so, and it, and and I'm not going to lie. It was, Mm -hmm. it made me feel so good. But, um, yes, I, I try to, have my own set of expectations. And I think that a lot of my growth has come from quality control and knowing when to just ditch it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If it's just not going to work and sometimes it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Do you did, I ditched one today? Did you? I did. Are there technical, like, are there where you're at in your ceramics practice? Are there still technical limitations that are uh, impeding your creative uh, what you can accomplish creatively, or do you feel like you're starting to get your mind wrapped around the technique enough that you are are being freed from that prison to really rock out creatively? How's how's that working? I think it I think it is working very much so. I feel like um, I had to build processes to get through what I want to make, and I've gotten through the processes, and now I'm being freed up to uh, explore more design. Just like, uh, you know, you got to get the horticulture for a tree. Once you get that, you can get to the design. Now I feel like I've, I've done the horticulture for the pots, and now I feel like I'm free to uh, explore a little bit more. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I've, yeah. I feel yeah. like the technical side of bonsai is has such a steep learning curve. It's such an impediment, you know, but if you can weather the storm of the, of the years of 
limited growth and painful failure. If you can weather the storm, the carrot at the end is you get to use technique to actually create. That's the carrot at the end that drives, I feel like, and makes it all worth it. And in the ceramic right. realm, I mean, it's so brutal. You know, a tree dies in the bonsai realm with utter failure. In the ceramic realm, it doesn't take a big mistake for a pot to explode or fall apart or crack in half or, you know, a glaze right. to just look like shit and there's no going back. Like, that's a, it's an unforgiving medium. Absolutely. It took so long and so many heartbreaks to get to producing actual pots that were, that were whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just had heartbreak after heart, and, you know, and, and all of that was in a very public forum because I was making in a public studio at that time. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was, you know, definitely throwing huge and making huge and also failing huge. Mm. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. You're putting it out there every day for people to see it, right? Yes. Can't, can't hide. Yes. Right. As soon as I figured out how to center the clay on the wheel, I started trying to center as much weight as I could in order to make the biggest pots that I could make. Mm-hmm. And boy, did they come with a curve. Oh, I can't imagine. There's a reason people don't make big <clears throat> pots. There's a, a, a right. physical limitation, but also the, the, the craft of construction on big pots is the cl- the clay quality and understanding that, the temperature that you fire at, how you handle that. It's like... Man, it's a, it's it's endless, right? Someone who sells bigger European pieces on Facebook or eBay or somewhere, I was asking about a pot one time, and it was it was one of those classic Europeans, Derek Asma. It was one of those, you know, one of those guys, but it was a big piece, and it was it was I couldn't afford it. It was a little bit expensive, and uh, and I said I can't afford it. Why are big pots so expensive? And he said because once you get above a certain size, you're no longer really doing ceramics. You're more tackling feats of engineering. And that always stuck with me, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is kind of true. What was that size you said you're in that 22 to 24 or something now? Pretty, pretty solid as a rock, but that next jump up, you feel like there's another kind of, is that more of an engineering thing then that next size or. Yeah, I got a, um, there's a couple of, a couple of technical things I'm working on to get better at. And Ron is definitely, you know, mentoring me and helping me through those things. But, you know, the 18 to 22, I'm pretty comfortable. I'm trying to get above 22 to 28 and hopefully eventually to 30, 30 inch ovals. That's that's a big container. I just need to step out for a sec. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. We got this. We got this. What did the audio did you, did I'm you still there. Did you just pause it or what? I can't hear though. Move your headphones. Yeah, no, it, it's still rolling. So, yeah, he's there. Are you still? Can you hear me? I can, yes. Can you hear me? Can you hear him? I can't hear him. I can't hear anything. Uh, oh, hold on. My bad. What happened? Can you try it one more time? Yeah, I can hear now. Sorry all about right, that, Eli. Right. How you doing, buddy? That's all right. Doing great. 
we had a little cord come out. You might be you might be familiar with that experience being an audio engineer. Right. Yep. Happens to the best of us. Yeah. So the European yep. gig didn't happen, but now there's a chance you might be doing some work with new kids on the block. Yes. I have two things uh, in the wings. New kids was one and uh, also did an interview with Jack Johnson, which is exciting. Oh, cool. Yeah. I like his work. I think, I think that sounds like a chill place to be. Oh, that sounds lovely. My new kids on yeah. the block takes me back. My sister's four years older than I am. I'm in my, I'm 43 and I remember she was a huge New Kids on the Block fan. There was like poster uh-huh. poster fest in her bedroom. And they had a nice right. little comeback, and they're probably are they at that point now where they're the a lot of their fans when they were young are probably like of the age where they're ready to like relive their youth a little bit and go hit the circuit and, and kind of go back to I those think, shows. I think that's it. I think that's pretty much the demographic these days. Yeah, yeah, and the yeah. and the, those people are like successful in their careers or wherever they're at now and have money to spend and go out and. <clears throat> have a cool show or whatever, right? Like go out. Yep. Take their daughters or their granddaughters or whatever it is. Yeah. Cool. Show them what they were into when they were that age. Yeah. Jack Johnson. He really kind of came up out of nowhere. It seemed like, and then I guess I, I mean, I don't really follow the music scene. Certainly not like to the level you do, I'm sure. But is he, is he still coming out with new, new music as much as he was, or is it just the, the, the genre is not, you know, crushing it as much or what, where's he at? I'm not sure he was, you know, he was working in on a really high level working in stadiums and stuff a couple of years ago. And now his, the venues are amphitheaters, which is a logical step. I hate to say this, but back a little bit, mm-hmm. but I think he's probably still a big seller. That feels like for his aesthetic and sound, that might be like a better, a better place to be the amphitheater vibe. It kind of feels a little more mm-hmm. Jack Johnson. Right. I don't love going to see a concert in a stadium myself. Lots of people love it and lots of people buy tickets for those things, but mm-hmm. it's just not the experience I want to have when I go see a show. A little bit of a different, you don't you lose some intimacy with 60,000 of your closest friends. Certainly. Yeah. How big was that venue in Vegas? Where was that at when you were down there? That was at the, the theater at the Virgin hotel, which okay. was the old hard rock joint, the joint at the hard rock. Yep. Yeah, it was about 4,400 4, seats. Yeah, I was there for a if Super Bowl you, party one year. Right, if you sell it out three nights in a row, you're doing good. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah, are musicians? I've heard that musicians are making money primarily on merchandise and and live entertainment, and that record sales and and whatnot is is no longer the 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 path. It's true. It's ticket sales are the real money maker now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I know uh, somebody. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. I have to excuse myself. Life, life happens. I get it. Yeah. So what's the I rest? Of, what's the rest of your day look like then? I guess we, earlier we were talking about the time change. So it's seven thirty almost for you right now. So are you? Yeah. You kind of winding down. You got? Are you going to get back in the studio, do some more work, or? Not sure. I have to see what what the mood strikes when I'm done. Yeah. Um. I could get back over there and get another project started, and if I'm if I was wise, that's probably what I'll do. Yeah. I at least go over there and throw one more sizable piece and roll a slab for it, and then I can build those in a couple of days. Actually, I have a fairly large piece I can go over there and start building now. Mm-hmm. It's just at that part of the process that I can start constructing it. So yeah, I might do that. Is it? Is there like a little bit of uh? I mean, assembly line isn't the right 
word, but like, you know, from watching that video, there's like the different steps and processes. Do you kind of have to keep work in the pipeline so that you always have something to go back and do? Or do you prefer to like, like to, you know, get a bunch of one phase of, of work done, go back and like work on that late, the next phase later? Or do you like to kind of go back and forth between, you know, throwing a piece, building the slabs, building like, what is that? What's your preference, I guess? I like to keep things rolling and uh, set myself up for something to do in the coming days. Um, but if I'm going to be on the wheel, I want to, and I like to roll, you know, throw my piece and roll the slab at the same time. That way they're sort of the same age, if you will. And they're sort of setting up at the same time and they can be more ready to be worked together sooner that way, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So, but I do like to throw a few things at the same time too, because you kind of get in a groove and don't want to get out of it if you're in it. Yeah, that makes sense. Do, do you think that helps the quality of the work just to have like the, the age of the clay, I guess, kind of stuck out to me there when you're talking about that. It's like, cause you're, you're trying to get things to, I even saw like the feet you made, you put them inside the container to let them kind of cure with the, you, you made comments right. about like the humidity and all the other kind of like details of trying to make sure they're all kind of being impacted at the same schedule maybe. Right. Yeah. That's, that's important. I think for the highest success, I think that the, um, what makes for the most success for me is consistency. If I can, can go over there and, you know, and stay, keep going over there and, just doing any part of the process, the consistency of it all is what really helps me produce the best pieces, I think. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So what, so what's the future look like for you then? Like, or I guess what's the, what's the short, medium, long-term, the long-term sounds like you want to get back to the country, get that wood fire and I do. Situation I want to retire. Is what yeah. I, I want to, I want to work the music business, continue to build this career, continue right. to learn and grow professionally there and save enough money to actually retire one day. Okay. So and, it's kind of, that, then, that's the goal. That's the game. It, it kind of is the goal. Yes. Yeah. And be a potter for the rest of my life. I think that that sounds like a great and grow trees. I think that sounds like a good, good, good way to be a good place to be. Do you think there's ever going to be a time when you want to work with different species outside of kind of what you're doing right now? It's not like you're really focused on deciduous and broadleaf evergreen, but are there, mm-hmm. do you have any draw to conifers or just not, not particularly? There, there are some that I like, you know, Japanese black pine really doesn't speak to me. And I've not ever seen one that I was like, holy shit, that's the tree. Okay. You know, the pines that speak to me are white or red or Jack. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, maybe I, I'll never say never because that gets you in trouble. But uh, I just grow what I grow now because that's what's speaking to me. I mean, if uh, if it, it, it will present itself organically, if it happens, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I will try to keep myself open enough to recognize it or hear it when it calls. Yeah. No sense forcing it, right? Right. Forcing things usually gets me in trouble mm-hmm. and things just turn out for the worse. I think Ryan had to take out another phone call there. Sorry about that, Eli. That's all right. I appreciate you guys doing this. It's really amazing. And um, sadly, my website is not up to speed and caught up to where I have a lot of stock in there. So if people hear or see this, they want to come buy something. I'm not going to be totally ready for it, but so goes life. I yeah. can't force. I, I can't force or rush the ceramics, you know? 
Yeah, no, and nor should you, right? I mean, it's it's it sounds right. like it's a little bit more about quality, not quantity, at this point for you, based on your other career that you have, right? It's like you're not you're not trying to force ceramic work out the door. Right, I've been there and done that. Yeah, I'm so sorry. No, you're good, man. It's okay. We're just, we're just talking. rocking out. I, I was you. trying. We're trying to figure out what what the future holds, and he's 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 looking forward to being a retired, semi-retired, I guess that would be right, and just working on ceramics full-time at, mm-hmm. at, your, at your leisure and working on your, your bonsai collection. And do you spend, right. what, what does your bonsai practice look like? Do you spend a ton of time like working on the trees or you just kind of maintain the trees? Do you do a lot of pruning, wiring, styling, or what does, what does that look like for you? I'm just kind of maintaining right now. You know, I usually get Rodney over here for a day in the spring and we repot what needs to be repotted. And I learn from doing with him and I need to get better at some technical aspects i need to get i need to be better about uh pesticide and fungicide that's what i need to be better at Mm -hmm. i i would help my trees if i was and even fertilization i mean i I, i'm good at getting my tea bags ready you know at least one good time a year but i want to do be able to do my liquid fertilizer one day one day a week or every two weeks at least and i just need to i could grow some technical skills in bonsai which i've I, I'm rededicating to the process of it all anyway. So I think I'm going to try to step it up this year over last year. How how do you, how do you manage though? Like with the, with the time that your musical endeavors and, and that career takes, and now all of a sudden you got bonsai ceramics and you have bonsai trees. How, how, how do you balance like the, the, the bonsai time between ceramics and trees? Great question. Uh, my wife is gracious enough to water for me, for better or worse, while I'm gone. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the the pottery, the ceramics part is fairly easy because I can control drying to a degree with plastic tarps. Mm-hmm. You know, if you cover things and make sure that it's fully covered and tucked underneath, things will last for quite a while. And keep the HVAC turned off. Things will things will last and I, you know, I can go to town for a full weekend or whatever, not probably not a full week, but a full weekend and come back and things will be ready to work. So it's just, you know, and building my own studio is, has provided uh, its own set of circumstances to learn how to work it and what, how long is too long to do things. When you <laughs> talked about your bro- broadleaf evergreens, what species of broadleaf evergreens? I feel like broadleaf evergreen in the bonsai practice most under-discussed genre of tree. Yeah. I like boxwoods. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Kingsville's American, Japanese, whatever. I like them all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, uh, we're about ready to start playing with, uh, some really old Pieris japonicas, which, uh, you know, in Japan, you'd be hard pressed to find a Pieris japonica bonsai anywhere. Not saying they don't yeah. exist. But I mean, the Japanese larch is the best larch variety in the world and they don't use it in Japan, which I, th- these things, this is like Monterey pine being a prominent pine species in North America. We barely use it for anything. And in Australia, it's their number one timber crop and a huge bonsai resource. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Texas sage in Israel is the number one broadleaf evergreen tree that they use. I've never seen a Texas sage bonsai uh, outside of a Mariah Live member on a forum Q&A. So it's like, it's so interesting to me, these ways that these different genres of trees move and travel 
throughout the world and find their niche outside of their native environment and in a community that values them for X, Y, and Z. And whatever individual became like a leader of that community starts to kind of guide that utilization and promote that that species. This is like at the very, you know, ceramics, you have your explorations. Man, bonsai for me at Mariah is all about finding these unique species. And one of them, you know, that's come about is, is Artemisia, the sagebrush. The Western varieties mm-hmm. of sagebrush. I mean, it's one of the mm-hmm. great Western species. When you think about the landscape in the Western United States, walking through ankle-high, knee-high sage, and the smell that you mm-hmm. get in the middle of the summer is so right. nostalgic. And the twisting and contorted nature of those trunks. Insane. Insane. Yeah. There's a venue up in Washington uh, called the Gorge. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, I it's live. Like, the Gorge yeah, is right outside second, of Portland. Second only to uh, Red Rocks and like natural amphitheater settings, mm-hmm. I think. And uh, that whole hill behind that stage is all just sagebrush. And I've just brought the wood home, you know, dead pieces of wood because it's all twisted and just gorgeous ancient stuff. So yeah, I get that sagebrush. What's it, what's your, when you go collecting, like when you think of collecting, for me, I used to like, I used to crave getting on the rock to find ponderosa pine in the cracks, you know, like Mm -hmm. what, what are you thinking when you're going collecting? Cause you said you and Russell are out there going pretty hard. Where, what are what are you longing for in the collection? Um, it's hornbeam palooza usually, cause we just have so much American hornbeam everywhere and just pockets and thickets of it. But, uh. You know, we even found a spot last year to collect trident maple that was, there were just street trees and they blew seeds and they were all along this railroad track and the, and the railroad people would come by with some type of bush hog with an extended arm that would just whack them all to the ground again and again and again and again. So we were out collecting uh, tridents last year. So I've got a greenhouse full of tridents right now because it got cold and I had to protect them. But uh Interesting yes. character-filled tridents. Those sound really sure. interesting. Yeah, I know you're you're uh-huh. the, the hornbeam thing. I got to be honest with you. The hornbeam thing is is exciting me. And are these? Do these all have to be relatively? All of them have to be trunk chopped. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So you get a base, and pretty you get much. a you get a little bit of movement or something. Do any of them have primary structure, like big branches and stuff that stay on? Not really. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yes. Not always. Mm-hmm. Not always. Russell collected a monster about three years ago that's really developing, and uh, it's got it has some cool movement and great muscle into the trunk. It's a wonderful species. I want more. I, I want more hornbeam. I really do. Like you know, the Korean hornbeam. Uh, Korea is a small country. the The area where the Korean hornbeam came from in the foothills was a very limited amount. And Korean hornbeam, you know, really became an icon of Japanese bonsai. Uh, mm-hmm. But there is not there is not Korean hornbeam on the island of Japan, you know. Wow. It, and so when you when you think about that, like it, they all have kind of that muscling. They also have all been chopped for the most part and mm-hmm. regrown, right? And stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, this is hornbeam is like a, and we have native hornbeam. And here now we're talking about it, and this is something that you're actively you know, out there utilizing, I, I wonder if, I wonder if anybody is taking those horn beams that are being chopped and growing them out in the ground again, where you get that ramped up growth rate that you could heal and reestablish leaders and really build mm-hmm. shape into them. Do you know anybody doing that? Not really. Um, 
in, in my experience, I tried to trunk chop some and leave them in the ground and every one died. Every single one died. Mm-hmm. I had to, but collecting them, putting them in a box or a grow pot, a grow pot, they were very successful and a lot of fun to work with. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder yeah. if you could rebuild that root system and put that root system into a ground and then, and then grow. But I mean, I guess if in a grow box, can you get those pretty ramped up even in a grow box to grow some serious mm-hmm. girth in a, in a single year? Um, I haven't really tried to grow a lot of girth in my trees and boxes like that. I just try to grow, you know, I usually collect what I want in the trunk and then just try to regrow the top. Gotcha. Okay. So you're not looking that's for, what, or that, that's what I have done in the past anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's so many species out there that, uh, that still have yet to be discovered or put to use as bonsai. I'm glad that you're using the American mm-hmm. beach. That's super interesting to me. Yeah, I like it. I got I've got two reasonably good ones, and one is a cascade that you can see on my Instagram page somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's another species from the swamp and down in Valdosta. I've I've collected one successfully, and Russell has collected one or two successfully too. There, that's called black tata. Hmm. It's sort of a soft wood tree, but they're all twisted and contorted, and they're ho- have hollows all up and down them. They have a very small tiny white flower that it blooms and it's an interesting species and you know the when i read the zones that they would grow in they're not supposed to grow where we are but i've had mine going for five plus years now and it's still still working is it more of like a tropical can't tolerate the cold of atlanta kind of a thing i i think so so Uh i wonder if in another five or six years it's going to peter out you know what i mean nah I, yeah, I don't know. I, there, I I always feel like there's a reason for that, honestly. I'm very skeptical of, like, it has a limited time span in a container, but I could be wrong. You know, I try I try to uh, I try to uh, be skeptical of everything I hear as a limitation of a tree in a bonsai container because that's my experience, right. you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like um, now Tokutake, you know, you talked about now's ceramic work. Now also is a really uh-huh. good bonsai practitioner, and he found what he thought was a species of mahogany, really unique circumstance in a riverbed outside of some, you know, uh, area where there's a lot of aggregate damage to it and stuff. And and these little tiny contorted, they look like sagebrush, but the wood is rock hard instead. And mm-hmm. it's got these tiny little right. leaves and these beautiful little flowers and stuff. And it's like, he, he he can't even figure out what species it is. He took it to the forest service because he's getting permits to dig it, and they're like, "We don't really know what that is." Like, I don't. We, yeah, we, they couldn't. We they can't could, even identify yeah, it. They couldn't identify it at the local uh, ranger station or yeah. whatever closest to where he was that, at. That's super interesting. We didn't, you know, the, this black tie tie that I collected first. Rodney was with me on a collecting trip down there, and he we just stumbled across it and he just went bananas and was like, you can't leave here without that tree. Mm. And it wasn't even speaking to me all that much. I love it now, mm-hmm. especially that I made a pot for it that really works. And, um, but we didn't know what it was. It took us a while. We, there's one, there was one like super plant nerd that was on bones on nut forum for a while. And, um, Rodney knew him. So we kind of got to contact him and ask him and he, he identified it as black tie tie. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, what about red maple? Do you get any red maple uh, growing that has any kind of quality or value? I know the swamps hold the red maple down there. There's a lot of um, interesting ones. Russell collected one last year that's still working. Mm-hmm. And it has a lot of like, I think half the trunk is dead and hollow. Are they so tough to collect? In it. I don't think they were hard to collect, no. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Rubrum, Rubrum is super interesting. David Cutchins in Florida has has one of the best Rubrum I've ever seen in a bonsai container. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it, it, it is tight internodes. It is small leaves. Like, it's really been worked well over the course of time. But I, I, the, these these things exist, you know? They're just down there. I mean, right. it's... I, I took a whole new perspective of the collected tree from Hugh Grant, uh, one of my w- one of my good friends in Australia, who really has is sort of out there just finding native Australian plants that haven't been collected or you know tapping into a community in Australia uh, that's been collecting it you know around Melbourne they they have a native plant sort of dedication in the bonsai community and there are people that have been collecting trees that nobody's ever heard of for twenty thirty years. You right. were down there for that exhibition, weren't you? Ugh, man, it was so, yeah, the native, yeah, yeah the Australian sort of uh, Bonsai Society's national in Melbourne was a focus on native collected material, and there's a gentleman named Quentin, I'm not sure what Quentin's last name is, but th- th- this guy, uh, walking into his backyard, I was just like, what, why, what are these, where, where, what is happening here? And, you know, yeah. 30 years on a collected species nobody's ever seen before. And it's like, uh-huh. oh, okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Is that all trends. it takes? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. If you got 30 years cool. and some uh, ambition, yeah. it's all you. Yeah. Right. I feel like that's what you get when you walk into Rodney's garden, though. You know, that's a special yeah. place. It really is. It really, I mean, you know, I have a key to the gate. And when I pull up and I get out of my car and I'm about to unlock that lock, I still get the goosebumps mm-hmm. of excitement of going in there and seeing those trees. That's great. That's great. It is. It's fantastic. He and Charlie have created such a magical little place. I, I went to a garden. I went to a garden in Italy this past week when I was there. Private garden in Tuscany. And it it, it, it was the same kind of vibe. Everything was made by hand. Mm-hmm. You could tell a tremendous amount of love. Tr- 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 tremendous amount of love, tremendous amount of craft, all that stuff. I mean, it was it was really something quite special. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. It was. Eli, uh, you should come and see us in uh, Portland, Oregon, sometime. Or we should come see. I would you. love to. We should come see you. All I need is all I need is the reason to get there. Mm. You know. Well, I don't, um, I don't and know. And it'll and it'll happen. You know, I I invited you to a show a number of years ago. Do you? I don't know if you recall that we played somewhere near Portland, and uh, I invited you to come out, and it was. It, I think scheduling was not right. Yeah. But yeah, it'll happen. Yeah, I would love that. Do you, do you have any plans to be out in the Pacific Northwest and in any of your musical endeavors? Um, I think if, if this new Kids on the Block thing pans out, there will be some shows up that way. Killer. Killer. Yeah. Yeah. Let me get you out here. We need to. I would love to work with uh, your ceramics here at Mariah. You know, that's something. There's a. There's sort of a wish list that I have uh and, and and your your work is right at the top of it just to start handling it and feeling it because you know I'm really heavily influenced by the the ceramics I really feel one of the modern revelations at least at, in North America is letting the ceramic have more of a say in the composition and I definitely recognize mm-hmm. the ceramics that we work with changing the aesthetic of the tree that I'm creating and that's not right. something that's not something that's happened that's that's new that's a new thing so who uh, okay and you like Jonathan Cross that's that's established who else in America or western are you whose whose work are you really liking I'm a Horst Heinzelrider I think Horst Heinzelrider is one of the most creative creative Good grief yes ceramicist this guy is has no boundaries there's no boundaries Yes his surfaces are so amazing uh, 
it's insane. Uh, his color, he just, you know, I think this idea uh, of a pink pot that came from us using sagebrush. Uh, Eve uh, Shahovsky used to be our uh, project manager and content manager, and she also had she was she went to school at Savannah Institute of Arts, and you know, in terms of color theory, I thought that was one of her strongest things because she was a painter. And she said, you know, for sagebrush, a pink pot would be amazing. And all of a sudden, I'm looking for pink pots. And, you know, uh, Andrew Pearson, Stone Monkey, makes a beautiful pink blush colored pot. But we mm -hmm. never had one that could fit a sagebrush in. And then Horst, just right on cue today on his Instagram, has this incredible pink pot on there. And it's like, he he knows no boundaries. Uh, he's right. he's one of the only bone tie ceramicists whose piece of work I've handled uh, and really felt uh, moved to tears. Not because I was like, so in love with it. It was, it was tortured. It was so tortured. I mean, it felt like I was looking at the Holocaust, you know, and, and right. this... Right. This kind of stuff, like he does, he really uses and pushes ceramics to a far degree, and it it has influenced and informed my work a lot. So I love I love That's working awesome. with Horst. Yeah, I'm going to disagree slightly and say that he does know boundaries because I can't comment on the pots on Instagram. So he has created a boundary where you can't, where I can't comment. I can like it, but I can't comment. No, oh, I comment so on his pots all the time. Uh, he well, he's. Uh, I mean, I must not be in the inner circle. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> I, I always try to say beautiful or nice or something. Uh -huh. and there's no, there's no dialogue box for me. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't know. I'd, I've never met Horst in person, but we talk all the time via email, and we certainly have worked together an awful lot. Uh, I really, obviously, like Tom Benda. I like, I like Jonathan Cross. Um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think. Obviously, Ron Lang was a big one for me. Thor stuff's been pretty right. interesting. Oh yeah, Thorhole Villa. The the Triscoli Potters Collective is coming to Mariah in May, and uh, that's going to be a pretty nice, re pretty revolutionary visit. Uh, I would imagine so. I like I love Thor stuff too. I got a really one of I got a really early pot from him off of eBay when he very st first started working there. That's a pot I really liked a lot. I still really love it. He went to Japan and spent time in Tokoname, kind mm -hmm. of going to the roots of bonsai ceramics. And I really saw a big difference uh, in his work from prior. He ha he does not make Japanese pots, but there is a right. big difference in his work and his proportions primarily of his work that I thought really benefited. But uh, I think the strongest thing Thor does is, is the thematic is the th thematic basis for his ceramics as influenced mm -hmm. by the environment and the culture of of where he's at you know i mean like right he has castle themed releases he has spring you know he has uh, fjord themed he has it's just like it's beautiful his work is so in touch with with the the organic environment i i really i dig it i've started finding so much presence in his containers mm -hmm. and they're small Small container, yeah. so much power right. and impact. It's just like, well, that is uh, that is something that I don't see a lot of ceramicists making smaller pots having the power to to impact me in that way with that that small of a ceramic. I mean, it's uh, it's been it's been really such a pleasure. Yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I get it. I yeah. totally get that. I don't I don't enjoy making small things, and I think most of that is because. I can easily, more easily hide the flaws in a large pot. And I am a serial lip dinger. Like I'm always dinging the lip somehow. Mm. 
Like I'll get up and when I'm moving the pot, I'll knee it or something like that. I'm always doing something. <laughs> a big guy, kind of lanky and and weird, and I have huge hands. So you know, it's easier to smooth out a a booger on a big pot than a small pot. Yeah, a cereal lip dinger. That's a new one. <laughs> this is the conversation yeah. about Shoheen bonsai we were having. Yeah, we're repotting. It's like it, it's beautiful to look at, but then you go to work on these small trees, and you're like, "How do I get a chopstick in there? Mm. How do I wire this? How do takes I?" Takes more technique. Right. Oh, it's just you know maybe similar conversation for the ceramics. It takes more technique. Right. It takes more technique. Maybe. maybe. More process. I don't want to. I don't want to make that statement in ceramics because I have no idea. I don't either. But I almost feel like it's the opposite in ceramics because to make a good big pot, you might be able to hide it, but man, the, to get it to be successful is is a, is a true challenge. So people stick with smaller pots. But then there's there's the shoheen size, and that's a different level. Warp you know? wobble right. that has to be accentuated mm-hmm. on the on a larger piece, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, that wobble. That's always a challenge. I hate grinding those feet too. I just like that, but it's a necessary evil sometimes. Yeah. 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 I, I, so you, you're asking me about, you know, European ceramicists. Do you keep an eye on European ceramics and work and stuff like that? Because you, you've primarily sure. sourced sort of cited North American ceramicists as inspirational. But I guess Peter Krebs was one of the ones that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely follow his social media. I definitely follow Horst mm-hmm. and appreciate those guys. I mean, and th- both of those gentlemen have been, I've asked questions of both of them via social media and they both answered, which is just so nice and so wonderful. Oh, well, you did get the, you did get the comment box then if Horst uh, responded. Right. I think that was a, that was a message, not a, not a, a comment. I, I think. got you. I got you. Yeah. But yeah, I try to keep up with um the whoever's making pots in this day and age. I try to I try to look and figure out what I can steal. Mm-hmm. Me and Ramondi, yeah, love it. Ramondi's nice, huh? Yeah, they've got love a nice it. thing yeah. going too. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a there's an Eastern European sort of style and 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 aesthetic in ceramics that you can see you can see it coming from the Czech ceramicists, the Slovenian ceramicists, the Croatian ceramicists. Uh, that is really that is really interesting, and is really that I I almost feel like it's it, it's in response to some of the some of the architecture, you know. And I know Tom Benda's heavily influenced by architecture. He's he's spoken about it as much, but um, I'm anxious to watch the Triscoli collaboration because now you have three ceramicists, and each one of them touches every pot that's produced there. But we're gonna take right. We're going to take the Triscoli boys to the Bristlecones, the Sequoias, and the Redwoods uh, in, in in the process and just see what happens. Boy, with, that sounds fun. Yeah, with their experience. I think it's going to be really, I think it's going to be pretty profound, um, whatever comes of it. I have, And the best thing is, is it doesn't impact us at all. We just get to sit back and be, you know, we're going to be doing our thing while they're here. They're going to be doing their thing while we're working. And, and uh, we'll go see some trees and probably record the shenanigans and... It's going to be epic. Yeah, it's going to be really epic. Yeah. Sounds like it. Maybe you should come Why out do and do it? an artist in residency at Mirai. Good times. Good times. I'm just throwing it out there. I've never asked anybody to do that hey, before. Man. Don't don't threaten me with a good time, Ryan. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> I as you know, I I want to stay on the up and up with you. Eli. I don't want to jeopardize or trust or anything, but it might be kind of cool to have you come out and make some pots. That could be fun. 
Yeah, it seems like it would be easier to do that with slab building, which I just don't do a whole lot of. I would need a wheel and and uh, a slab roller to to really do what I do out there. Well, I mean, it's which might be it might be rentable commodities, you know. Yeah, you know, I mean, Jan Rentenars literally lives two minutes down the road from us, and she's got a ceramic mm-hmm. studio. And you know, I've never asked if she would let different energy in there or not. But heck, it's not above me to to ask and see. Right. She's got a gas kiln. She's got all kinds of stuff. I mean, I know you know there's a lot of nuance to kilns and firing and all that stuff. But uh, but I I think there's some interesting opportunities there. I'd be wide open. Oof. You don't you don't even know. Well, well, maybe we should know. Maybe we should find that out. Put put it on the list. The idea factory continues. Yeah, yeah. Ideas here. Man. No shortage. Right. I love Portland. Anyway, I love being out there. Well, for sure, you got to keep us in the loop. The next time you're coming out here for work, we'll have to we'll have to connect for sure. Okay, certainly will. The pandemic has not been the pandemic has That's not changed. been fri- has yeah. not been friendly to Portland, but I I sense things are I think thing, I sense things are starting to get better. I hope, anyways. You know, I don't I don't know how Atlanta fared. I hope you guys have been okay, but uh, it's 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 been a it's been a tough few years out here. Right, it's been a tough few years everywhere. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was really, you know, one thing about the music business, too, I guess I should note is that it has allowed me to meet a lot of people in Bonsai, which has been fantastic. Mm. I mean, we, we play, you know, we played every year, you know, a couple of miles from Jim Doyle's place. And I would go over and visit and just walk around the garden, get in that basement of his with all the history of Braverman's and Don Goldpots. Yeah. And, you know, and he makes that trek to Europe every year. So I just get exposed to so much there. Mm-hmm and build friendships, build the relationships. I got to go see the Bonsai Pot competition in Washington, D.C. and meet Jack Sustick. So I've just utilized all that to try to meet as many people and build relationships as I could. And I was really looking forward to doing that in Europe this year, but that tour just wasn't meant to be, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. that, that that pot competition and, and the Bonsai Insights when uh, when Ron Ling did that, uh, really revolutionary before f- far before it's time. Uh, right. You know, those things have pushed the ceramic. I mean, honestly, that's how Jonathan Cross and I met was, was Jonathan's work mm-hmm. was, was selected as the winning sort of piece of that pot competition. And then Ron right. introduced us and Jonathan was less than impressed <laughs> with, with making bonsai pots because he does have such a phenomenal pedigree as a as an educated artist and I think he knows mm-hmm. what his work is capable of doing but that's a tough that's a t- that's a lifetime task to become a known artist uh, and I, I I feel like bonsai containers you know he might look at us as a little bit of a redheaded stepchild but I'll take it right we still want the work yeah that's right it doesn't change <laughs> call, call me call me whatever you want yeah, just yeah, send yeah. us some more pots yeah 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 yeah. you you can call you can call me dave for whatever i care is it is right. what it is we become quite good friends in the process but i still i know where jonathan's heart lies and uh yeah he wants to be in an axel vor vorhausen or vorhausen you know home designed home as opposed to underneath a tree at mirai but i think it's worked out so far so Eli, uh, help remind everybody where we can where we can find you in the world. I know I follow you on Instagram. I think it's Waldo Street Pottery. I think you've got a website yes. as well. I do WaldoStreetPottery.com and also Facebook. So yeah, I'm I'm around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's good. That's yeah. good. Hopefully we see Instagram. 
Instagram seems to get the, the, the latest updates more than anything else, but it's there. Yeah. And there's a, a recent YouTube video out that you mentioned earlier. That's on the, the YouTube page of the Bonsai Supply. Really nice folks who took the time to um, come out for two days and film with me and uh, help me get some exposure. Cool. So it was, it's interesting how, you know, I always was scouring YouTube trying to figure out better parts of the process for what I was doing. And there's just not that much out there. There's a lot of people making pots out of concrete, but you know, to what, to find videos of people making ceramic bonsai pots on YouTube, seems like there should be more of it. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. If I can figure out more and different content, I'll add, I'll try to do another one. Yeah, that becomes a whole nother job creating content. I, I, right. I can, I speak from experience. It's, it's, that's a whole, right. That's a, that's a dangerous little thing to get involved in. As we're sitting in an office right. surrounded by computers and, and monitors where uh -huh. there's a creative team normally yeah. buzzing and humming in here. Yeah. I, mean, I get it. I mean, essentially making pots is making content. It's just like continuing the stream and try to continuing to put things out there to, to gain and maintain people's interest. Mm hmm. So if, if somebody was just making a pot, like sitting making a pot, for you, you would look at that and you'd be like, this is awesome. If it was awesome, yes. If it was awesome, yeah. Well, I, 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 appreciate, I, appreciate the, uh, I appreciate the filtered nature of your, of your approval. The diplomacy uh -huh. is real. Yeah. If I mean, you know, there's a there's a relatively new European potter whose work I really like, but I watched his process videos and it, I was just sort of cringe mm. because he just worked a little bit wet, way wetter than I like to work. And it just looked like it was just I could just, you know, Clay has a memory and it doesn't have a memory for the good thing it has a memory for the bad things. He's just moving this clay around. And I was just like, that. that's just going to show up later. Oh, interesting. But. But I love the work hmm. in the end. So there's a lot of ceramics. We 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 are constantly keeping our eye out for ceramics and 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 purchasing you know sample pots from a lot of different people from a lot of different countries. And you know sometimes you see them and you're excited to get them, and then you get them and you handle them. And you're just like, well, that is a that is unfortunate. You know that's a letdown. And sometimes you don't think there's much there, and then you get them and you're just like, goodness gracious, this is. How do, right. how do people not know about this, you know? And it's mm -hmm. it's it's just the same theme over and over again of wading through the 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 mud of of self-promotion and social media to find really talented people it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time and a lot of work. Right. But it was easy to find you. Everybody had a good thing to say about you. Well, good. I try to be a good person, you know. Yeah. I try to build relationships. Fair enough. It's important. Mm -hmm. It's the most important thing to me, I think. You know, I love getting out to the shows and meeting people and interacting with people over the trees and the pots. Very cool. I always try to make many spins around the trees and talk to people who are looking at the same tree I am. And, you know, anybody that happens to swing by the table, you know, ask them questions and answer their questions. It's the fun part. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool, Eli. What? I appreciate you giving us the time, man. I can't tell you how much I appreciate. This is just going to be an enormous amount of exposure, I'm sure, with your reach. So mm -hmm. I certainly appreciate it. I don't know, you know, how, why you got interested in doing this with me. I mean, when you reached out to me, it was such a shock. I was just like, what does he want with me? Mm. 
Oh, so, we we follow the uh, Eli Aiken's uh, cold call methodology. Yeah, yeah. We just call. Gotcha. We just call. Gotcha. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, you just call. Just call. No, just, I see. Just you, bum rush. You know what I mean? You've you been on the radar. Rush. Actually, at the national show this this year, I was like, I'm gonna or last last year, I, I'm gonna get a I'm gonna get a Waldo Street uh, ceramic was what I said. And I mean, I got there and we were trying to set up and stuff. By the time I but by the time I was done, you there you'd already sold a majority of what you came with, and uh, you know that still wasn't a limitation. It it just on, honestly it didn't happen. And I I figured you know if I am gonna get to work with your work. I, I I would really like to work with a piece of work that you feel like, or some work that you feel like, hey, this is, uh, you know, I feel good. I want I want you to work with this piece. I want you to see what you can do with it. Um, th- that's kind of where I would love to enter with you. So you know, we'll see if we can't get that done in the future. I, I I'm not I'm not in any rush. That sounds great. Um, you know, the first time I worked with my own work was a humongous lesson. Mm. You know, you plant a tree and you're, you know, I think when people make bonsai pots and they don't grow trees, it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the first time I put one of my own trees in one of my own pots, I learned so much about the tie down spots and the, you know, just the ergonomics of the piece. Very, uh, educational. Yeah. Yeah. The ergonomics. Yeah. That's an, that's a great way to put it, isn't it? Right. Great way to put it. Well, I'll produce something hopefully that I think is epic one day and um, I'll be in touch. It doesn't have to be epic. It could be the simplest thing that you can make. I just want it to be beautiful, you know, or I want it to be something that you feel like, no, this is good. I feel I feel good about this. That that's really that's really what I would want to experience from your work is something that you're like, no, I feel good about it. So, you know, let me I know. I appreciate let... that. And that that's how I buy pottery too. I say, What what's the best one on the table? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's, that'll be the one that I pick up and buy. Yeah. Yep. I love so, it. Yeah. Well, good luck to you, Eli. Cool. I uh, let us know if Thanks. you're out and this way. And, yeah, let's 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 stay in touch. I think I think there's uh, some beauty to come in the future with us. Awesome. Thank you both so much for your time. Yeah, you got it. Take care, man. Thanks. All right. All right. Bye. <laughs>